Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360. Hour number two is here. Coming up, we have the Tennessee Power Hour at 4 o'clock Central, 5 Eastern. Uh, Bobby Carpenter will join us, uh, Outkick's college football analyst. He'll be with us in about 10 minutes. Looking forward to that chat as we recap last week and, and look ahead to week two across the college football slate. Uh, guys, friend of the show, Jacob Underwood, sent me this text last night. He said, Obviously, you guys are not talking much baseball because football is here. But question for everyone. Quietly last night, a major leaguer became the oldest in history to hit 30 home runs in a season. you have any idea who that guy is? Nelson Cruz. I had no clue. Yeah, he's I had a, to look he's it up Tampa last now, night. right? Yeah. Yeah. Was with see, uh, the at Twins 41. For there was yeah. a good moment last night for Pujols. Did you see that? Uh, no. He what back, do you do? He was back in St. Louis playing for the Dodgers. And uh, does he play at all catcher? for the Dodgers? Yeah, no, he, he play? plays regularly. He plays. He's playing pretty well this year. Um, I have not seen. And him who's the catcher? The Cardinals catcher stepped out. Yadier Molina. Uh, Molina stepped out like in front of the dirt, in front of the plate, stalling, and let the stadium give him a oh, thing. And good. he hit a ding. Oh, uh, I, that's I, perfect. That's really cool. I did not know that Nelson Cruz was that old. I would have guessed Cruz, 38, I not, Yeah, I did not think 30. 41. The only other player in the last 30 years to hit 30 home runs uh, at the age of 40 or older is David Ortiz. It does not happen. And uh, this guy's, you know, the guy could barely run. <laughs> he, he helped us in a bet the other night, uh, turning the bases and, uh, and getting home. Uh, I think he was uh, maybe two nights ago against the Red Sox, Paul. But, man, can he swing the bat. The most fascinating story in baseball, as everyone knows, is always the Yankees. They won 13 in a row, and they're 2-10 and 10 since then. How is this possible? It's called a 500 baseball team, Paul. That's what happens. You win a lot in a row. This is kind of, this was the... 500 the, baseball team, this like, was wins the, the series, loses the, the season, season, right? Wins the series, loses They'd the win four in a row to get to 500, then they lose five in a row to go five it's below. unbelievable. Traditionally speaking, rookie quarterbacks on teams do not do well at all. Uh, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati... He went 4-11-1. Record-wise, they don't do it. Right. Uh, Kyler Murray in Arizona, 5-10-1 his rookie season. Uh, Sam Darnold was 4-12 in New York. Uh, Kaiser went 0-16. Um, what are expectations for Mac Jones? You know who else doesn't do well traditionally? The team in March that spends the most money on free agents. And that's New England. And that's New England, and New England's got a rookie quarterback. Yet it's becoming increasingly popular does, to pick New England to go to the playoffs. Does Mac I don't Jones see it. bust that trend? I don't see it. I mean, they're going to be a defensive running football team. They've got some nice running backs. They're always a committee team, right? This week's game plan calls for Ramondre Stevenson or whatever. I don't. He's know. the guy that we laughed name. at whenever we bet right. on the Patriots preseason game. And we said it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, the you backup. were looking at the fourth string yeah, running backs said, on each yeah, team. Yeah, so this is the battle of Ramonde, Ramonde Stevenson against Washington's fifth string. That was before the Sonny Michelle trade. And then he took off, yeah. But 
I have a hard time believing. Yes, I, I give Belichick the benefit of the doubt in every way, shape, and form. But by conventional NFL formulas, teams with a rookie quarterback don't win, and teams that go on, on spring spending sprees and win the offseason don't win. And this is a very unconventional route for them to win. Plus, the Bills are absolutely legitimate. I think we all agree, unquestionably. They need to rush the passer better. But they're one of the three best teams in the AFC, I think, without question. Healthy. We always throw in healthy. Sure. And I think Miami. I don't like Miami's quarterback situation, but Miami's a good football team. The one I thing, think the Patriots would be hard-pressed to catch Miami or play even with Miami. The, the one thing that, stuck, that really stood out to me whenever they made the move and cut Cam was Mike Reese, his initial reaction to this was, uh, he was a longtime uh, Patriots supporter for ESPN, does a tremendous job. Terrific guy. Uh, and very versatile. I, very impressed with the work that he does. Um, his first reaction was, the Patriots can now run their offense. And they have not been able to do that with Cam Newton. Now, that's not to say that Cam Newton wasn't producing something that they liked because they re-signed him after last season. They were running a version of the Patriots offense. And he said, it is obvious when you watch the guy practice, and especially during that time frame where Cam wasn't allowed in the building due to the COVID restrictions, that they, it was reminiscent of the old days with Brady, not comparing him to the play, but comparing him to the play call. Style. Uh, and, and where Josh McDaniels has the entire playbook that he had previously before Cam Newton, it's now back. That, that stuck with me during all this as I go through their schedule. And I'm thinking to myself, when I look at the Patriots' schedule to begin the season, and I know this is not smart to do in the NFL, it's not that daunting. Like, it's not just this crazy schedule like the Houston Texans faced to begin last season, for instance. And even if they got swept by the Bills, you, th you would think they'd split with Miami and they could sweep the Jets conceivably. The, and the two things I put against them there, rookie quarterbacks don't do that well, big spenders don't do that well. Well, they're getting a bunch of guys back from COVID. They had the biggest opt-out. They had yeah. the biggest opt-out in the league, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Their receivers are better than they've been in some time. Aguilar was good with Las Vegas. Um, I'm not a big Jacoby Myers guy, but he's more promising than they've had in a while. Kendrick Bourne is only asked to be the third. That doesn't sound like a great trio, but they've had some really bad receivers well, who we, Brady has worked with for a long time. Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry. And then, and then outside of the receiver position, you've got guys who can catch the ball, right? And they've always got backfield options yeah. too. So those are better, more reliable options for Mac Jones than Brady had in his last couple of years outside of Edelman, who was banged up at the end, obviously. Um, and the defense gets back a guy like Hightower and other guys who had opted out, plus draft. And, and I'm, and I'm not trying to say Mac agent Jones help. is going to win them games. No, it needs I'm to not lose them Can they win game. with a rookie starter and yes. buck the trend? Well, here's – but the, the, let me go back to that trend you talked about. You threw out Deshaun Kaiser and Sam Darnold and a bunch of these rookie quarterbacks, Joe Burrow. Even Herbert. Terrible franchises. Those, those guys yeah. joined. I want to talk about two other guys. Ben Roethlisberger in 2004. Steelers went 15-1 and one in his rookie long, year. Long time Andrew ago. Luck in 2012. 11-5. Playoff team. Rookie year Both uh, as a starter. But my point is, 
those are franchises that know how to win and make the playoffs. True. Steelers, Colts, Patriots. So why are people predicting this out of Mac Jones? Because they, the expectation in New England is that Bill Belichick knows how to win. He's going to get the most out of him. And they know what they're doing when they draft Mac Jones in the first round. And they know what they're doing when they cut Cam Newton and make the decision to start Mac Jones. I'm not saying they're going to be great. I don't necessarily see it either. But if I'm willing to bet on something or someone, I'm betting on the Patriots. I'm betting on Bill Belichick. Just like I would have bet on the Steelers and Bill Cowher in 2004 with Ben Roethlisberger as a rookie starter. Just like I would bet on the Colts after the injury season with Peyton Manning bouncing back with their leadership with Andrew Luck. And that's a good example. The Colts are a good example, Paul, of what Chad's saying. Because that, that organization had to learn how to win. What's because their Peyton Manning went three and thirteen his rookie season. Yep. You know they're eight. Uh, they're over under. And they learned I'm how to win in large part because of Peyton Manning. You know that Peyton Manning created that legacy of winning and being in the playoffs every year, and then handed that over to Andrew Luck. And that was yep. a franchise that knows how to win. I'd say the same about the Patriots, even if they had a one year hiccup, losing Tom Brady, well, bringing in Cam. Don't Newton. forget uh, the Colts had to lose to go get Andrew Luck without correct. Peyton. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. That one year, I'm looking at two. Granted, the Patriots weren't nearly as bad as the Colts were without Peyton Manning. What do you guess? But that one-year hiccup in between, more success. I'd say seven and a half. What do you guess, Chad? Over/under? Yeah. Mm, nine. See, nine and a half. I wow. think that's high. I'd go under. Well, I think it's yeah. eight. Yeah, I think it's right around seven and a half, eight. If you yeah. believe that Mac Jones and, and Belichick are winning eight games this year. While we were going for these NFL props that we're going to do later today, I looked at every over-under. There's not one of them that I feel good about. <laughs> I mean, every one of them is right there where you say, I, I don't feel good about that number. That's why Vegas makes all the money, Paul. <laughs> when you look at it and There's say that about all one. the games, There's it's like, There's got to be one. one. Bobby one. Carpenter joins us next. College football headlines with OutKick's college football analyst. Straight ahead on OutKick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network, broadcasting live from 6th and Peabody, downtown Nashville, with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer, alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kaharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, pleased to be joined by Outkick College football analyst Bobby Carpenter, host of Morning Show, of course, a legendary college football player for Ohio State, uh, first-round pick for the Dallas Cowboys, and much more, and, and now a regular on Outkick 360. Bobby, hope you're doing well, man. I am doing well. And, you know, I, I always forget you guys are, are located down in Nashville. Uh, my dad is actually going to be down there. He played with all those Oilers teams before the team relocated. They're putting Bum Phillips into yes. the ring yep. of honor there. So him and my mom are going to be going down there in a couple of weeks as they induct him with you know, a lot of the guys who are greats on that team who are you know, still with us. Some of the guys like St- uh, Stabler you know, passed away. But uh, he's pretty excited to do that. I don't think my parents have ever been to Nashville outside of maybe watching me play. So I know they're pretty pumped about it. They're doing that uh, against the Colts, I believe, is when they'll have that induction. That's really cool. Yeah. Good to know that, Bobby. And and you're welcome anytime, by the way, to swing by. We'll uh, we'll get you into Nashville sometime And your your parents are welcome, too. Tell them to swing by 6th and Peabody (laughs) when they're in town. We'll, We'll have some moonshine waiting on them. Uh, you know, my dad, my dad will drink a little bit. He's 66 uh, years old, but he can still get after it when he needs to. So Love to I'll uh, definitely have to get down there myself to see you guys, though, because I know you have a good time. Uh, the, the piece right now, outkick.com, the Big Ten breakdown by Bobby Carpenter. A lot to take in and digest from week one across the college football slate. Where did you start whenever you started this piece, especially with the Big Ten specifically? 
I tried to look at the teams that were contenders and how they looked. There's a couple of big matchups, and it's something the Big Ten did. And you know, I liked it. You know, a lot of teams go with the you know out of conference matchups to start the season. And the Big Ten took some in conference matchups. You know, it was Ohio State obviously with Minnesota on Thursday night, but then you had Indiana and Iowa. You know, kind of a, a classic stalwart in the West. Everybody knows what Iowa is. They line up and run the football. They play really good defense. They're not really all that flashy. Uh, they're physical. They're tough. All those things. And then a the team in Indiana that's probably a little more skilled who, you know, has a really talented quarterback, so we think, and, you know, an aggressive attacking defense, probably not quite as physical. They had a little more flash. You thought they'd be able to move the ball around, and you know, they go and get thumped in Iowa City. And so you look at that, it's like, okay, is Indiana, what was the COVID season? Was that a product of, you know, maybe a lot of other teams resting players and they got lucky and they were healthy and, you know, a lot of things worked out for them? Or, you know, was Iowa just really that good? It's probably usually somewhere in between. But I, I think, honestly, Iowa's probably – right there maybe the top of the heap of the west they could have been right there with minnesota but unfortunately you know they're running back muhammad ibrahim ibrahim blows his achilles and that's going to be a big blow to them but i think iowa is probably a fringe top 10 team this year with how efficient they are running the football and that defense looks as good as they've been in a while so um by the way quick update for you guys england scores nice, news from nice. sorry bob we had to break in with that we've got uh, a got, got, got some gambling Thanks. going on right now we had to update <laughs> the guys on um you mentioned in your piece at outkick that james franklin has his mojo back and i'm watching that wisconsin penn state game and i'm thinking the same thing and by mojo i mean james franklin seemingly wins two games a year he has no business winning and I'm watching that game on Saturday, and that was a game that Penn State had no business winning at Wisconsin, but somehow they got it done, Bobby. Well, if you look at you know what they did, they were able to get down into the red zone, or let Wisconsin, rather, into the red zone. I believe they've had a blocked field goal and two turnovers. And so Wisconsin moved the football on them, but Penn State really, you know, outside of Ohio State, is the only team currently in the Big Ten that recruits to a national level, that gets guys like Saquon Barkley, you know, Jahad Dotson, guys that are elite game-breaking uh, players. They usually have the big defensive linemen. Like, they have some caliber of players that you're like, okay, those are top ten talents. And that's why you know, Penn State, they've been right there. They recruit at that level. Now, unfortunately, last year you know, they had some guys, Micah Parsons, you know, first-round draft pick opting out. They had some issues. Obviously, they lose the Indian to start the season, and the wheel, wheels kind of fell off. Quarterback Sean Clifford didn't look very good, you know, but this was James Franklin's year. He had to get this thing back on track because he usually recruits at a really high level, but he doesn't win those big games where the talent is seemingly even. And this is a situation going into Camp Randall. It's as difficult environment as there is. I don't know if you guys had a chance to see, you know, the jump around sequence in between the third and fourth quarter. Oh, yeah. It's really, it's really overwhelming if you're a young guy in there for the first time and he played up there my freshman year at Ohio State, and it was it was unreal. You, you can feel your you know, you can feel it in your chest, and it's just the energy and the motion. Emotion. The fans are juiced up, and for them to go in there and get a win, you know they have a couple really nice drives. You know, Jod Dotson with the long touchdown from uh, Sean Clifford, and like it was like okay, James Franklin, you were able to win that big game. You were able to get off on the right foot, and with that, to me, it means you're at least capable now of challenging Ohio State because that was a game that. You know, sometimes they lose that one. And when they lose that, sometimes the wheels fall off and guys begin looking around thinking, okay, we have a lot of really good players, but we can't beat any really good teams. And Wisconsin's one of the perennial powers in the West. So that was a big, big win for him to start off on the right foot. And Penn State's one of those big blue blood programs. Like, to me, college football is better 
when the best teams are usually at the top and making those runs because it just makes it so much more interesting. It's a, a big win for Penn State, as you mentioned. What's the ceiling for Sean Clifford at quarterback? And based on his play and where you think he'll be, is he consistent enough to put them in contention with an Ohio State or, or right beneath Ohio State? And so that, that's the paradigm shift that's happened here in about the last five to seven years. And, you know, Nick Saban, once he finally realized he couldn't hang on to defense anymore, you have to have an elite quarterback. That's such a big piece of it. You know, Sean Clifford's supposed to be that guy. We've been waiting to see him do that for the last two or three years. I don't know if his ceiling is, is that of, you know, a high round draft pick. Like, I don't, I don't see this guy being, you know, first, second round draft pick, probably not even a third. If he plays well this year, Plays more consistent. I think he can kind of be maybe you know a mid-tier guy, but he has got to play better. He played okay on Saturday. It's a very difficult road environment. And this is the one thing that I'm trying to let everybody know. Like these guys last year played in front of limited audiences or no fans. And for being a quarterback going on the road, like, all right, last year, that's yeah, you're playing, you know, basically in a morgue. There's no one alive in the stadium or very few people. It's not, there wasn't near the noise element. Because you make a bad play or it's loud on third down, those things can spiral on you. And so for him to go into a hostile environment, play decent, needs to be more consistent. Can he do it? I don't really know. But they're going to be more talented than just about every other team outside of Ohio State they play. I think they've got a good shot, you know, being able to be competitive in that game. He has to continue to play better. And if he does, I think you'll be talking about Penn State as probably, you know, a fringe top 10 team, you know, somewhere between 8 and 12 by the end of the, at the end of the season. Let's hop over to the ACC. Uh, one weekend does not a season make, for sure. No shame in Clemson's loss to Georgia. UNC loses to Virginia Tech. Miami gets destroyed by Bama. Louisville gets killed by Ole Miss. Georgia Tech loses to Northern Illinois. Duke loses to Charlotte for Charlotte's first win against a big, uh, a big program. Uh, does this bode as poorly for ACC season as ACC people might fear? Outside of Clemson, like I didn't put a ton of stock in the ACC. Yeah, North Carolina looked like they could be good with Sam Howell coming back, but they did lose a lot. And Matt Brown hasn't been there enough to recruit at the level to really backfill all of that talent. So when you have guys you know, leave, you lose two of your top running backs, a couple top receivers that you can be like the Clemsons, the Bamas, Ohio States, where you're just plugging guys in. You know what? They may be a little inexperienced, but they can still make a lot of plays. North Carolina is not quite there yet. Big hostile environment. You know, good for Justin Fuente. He needed that win because he was he was struggling there at Vatech after being there five, six years and kind of slowly tapering off. But Louisville, they weren't even in the same class as Ole Miss. And you know, I probably could have told you that before the game, just based upon how they looked, you know, last season and the type of players they have. You know, most uh, a lot of the SEC schools are so big and physical up front. If you can't match them, they're going to be able to run the ball on you all day. They're going to mash your uh, O-line back into your quarterback. You're going to become a one-dimensional team. It's going to be a really bad situation. And Miami's been fake good kind of every year. Like, they're good enough to beat bad teams and average teams. But once you put them against a team that has pretty elite talent, as we see, whether that has been Clemson in the past, you know, whether it's been, you know, Bama this year, they usually kind of fold up and they don't have those horses up front. They don't have the depth of talent. Now, Derek King's a nice player, but he can't carry that thing by himself. They need guys out there to be able to get it done. And so I think, you know, outside of Clemson, you know, the ACC is pretty weak. And you know, with Clemson losing to Georgia, there's probably enough time for them to, you know, get right and look good in the committee's eyes as long as, you know, Georgia stays with what we think they are and they're able to, you know, 
make it to the SEC championship game. But there, there's concern if, you, if you're a Clemson fan thinking, is our schedule strong enough to absorb a loss? Granted, it was a loss to a great team. But when you're beating teams that are losing, you know, I'm Charlotte, what are they, the, the conference, conference USA and Northern Illinois and the MAC, like you're losing to school to those teams like that, that really doesn't bode well for you. Well, and uh, speaking of non-Power 5 teams, you called Cincinnati's game this weekend, Bobby, and that's a group of five team that many think could crash the playoff. What did you see from Cincinnati, and do you see them as a team capable of making a run and maybe being that outsider that finally gets in? So we've seen that kind of slowly build there for the last couple of years with Luke Fickle. And this is what has to happen at a group of five schools. Like you can't just go 11 and one or undefeated and get in the playoff. You have to build up, you know, that credibility over a number of seasons to where you're replacing guys and continuing to be a, a participant, maybe not getting into the dance, but you, at least you're in line and the bouncer saying, hey, you know, we need two out before you can get in. And that's kind of where Cincinnati's been. And what was impressive, you saw them last year play Georgia really tough in the Peach Bowl. You know, they got a lot of guys back. They had five super seniors come back. They have two really good corners, which you have to be able to have to go play man if you're going to play elite teams. It's one thing to do it, you know, obviously in the AAC, but it's another thing when you're playing one of the best teams out of the SEC or ACC or Big Ten like that. That's where you need those players. They have a quarterback who's really good, dual threat guy, and Desmond Ritter throws a really good ball. Uh, he can get it done with his legs so he can buy time. Their offensive line is good. Defensively, they can get it done up front. They have a lot of seniors, a lot of skill up there, big physical guys that can move, uh, which is key. But here's the other element they have. They have a you know, running back and forward that just tra- that transferred in from Alabama. You saw him rip off a run against uh, Georgia last year in the Peach Bowl. And talking to Coach Fickle, he's like, it was important for him to be on our team. He goes, because you know, a lot of other guys, you, you, you question yourself, like, we're good, but now we're playing this school that everybody says is better than us. And we look at their guys, and they're all four and five star, and they're big, and they're fast, and all this. You know, and four stepping up, like, hey, we're fine. And, you know, talk those guys into it. And he was a, a voice of confidence in the locker room that kind of changed some things. And so you have him, and they have a pair of slot receivers that are legit 10, 500 guys, you know, in, in track meets. Like, those are documented times. So they have playmakers. They have the big lines. And more importantly than anything else, they have the signal caller. And if you have that guy in college football that can make up for other deficiencies, you have a shot. And they look really good. I honestly think they're gonna, they'll beat Indiana, and I think it'll probably be by two scores. And it wouldn't surprise me, going into South Bend, if they're able to go in there and upset Notre Dame based upon how I watched them play Florida State the other night. So, Bobby, I'm going to ask you about two SEC West teams. Neither of them are Alabama. I think Bama's going to be fine. I think we'll have chances to ask you about Bama as the year goes on. They'll probably still be relevant. LSU, not as relevant right now. After they got whipped uh, against UCLA, after Ed Ogeron uh, referred to their uniform color as sissy blue on the way into the stadium, uh, they did not look good. I want to start with them and just your takeaways for that LSU program and Coach O, where there seem, seems to be some similarities with Gene Chizik at this point, where he caught lightning in a bottle, won a national title, and immediately started to fall off the cliff we're seeing a little bit of that with Ed Ogeron and this LSU team, even though they've got a ton of talent. They have a ton of talent. So what happened with them at UCLA? I think UCLA is better than what people think. But regardless of the quarterback play, like you shouldn't be able to pass the ball and run the ball all over them like they did. I mean, LSU should be able to line up and mash the ball down the field, control the line of scrimmage. And they have elite athletes on the outside. That was probably the most shocking thing that I saw. 
forget the fact that the offense, you know, it, it, it struggles and it struggled without Joe Burrow. But you mentioned, you know, obviously, you know, Gene Chizik, what happened there at Auburn. You know, I, I love Coach O. You know, to me, he is like the personification of what you want the LSU coach to be, to be like and sound like. I mean, it's almost like a foghorn leghorn out there with him talking. It's absolutely tremendous. And I, I love it. I think it's great for the game. However, though, you know, there's been a drop-off since the Joes left, Joe Burrow and Joe Brady. And you begin to put him in the category a little bit, you know, with Gene Chizik lightning in a bottle. But, you know, you've got, you know, Mark Helfrich who took over for Chip Kelly at, uh, at Oregon. You were able to elevate them a little bit. And then things kind of fell apart. You look at, like, Larry Coker going back to the Miami days. He takes over Butch Davis. Things roll really pretty well when he's just able to kind of put his tweaks on it. But after you kind of have to run the program and you know make hires and fires with coaching and overcome some things, like it just starts to unravel. And it seems like that's the case. I think UCLA is pretty good, but I don't think there's any world based upon the talent that you have on the LSU roster that the game should have looked like that. It's one thing to lose on some fluky stuff and some trick plays, maybe some bad calls, but when you're watching guys. Of the Bruins, who uh, the Pac-12 isn't a, and they're by far the worst Power Five conference right now, and that that's not even it's not even close. And I think Chip Kelly isn't playing better, but the athlete that you have, and the amount, the quantity, the quality, and the quantity at LSU versus UCLA, that should have been enough for all you know, you know, all of us gentlemen to go out there, build a game plan in a week, and get that win because you just have superior players, and that to me is like super concerning to where. I love Coach O, but I honestly, if, if he doesn't find a way to turn this thing around this year, I think this year might be it for him in Baton Rouge. The quantity and the quality of Ole Miss looked pretty good in game number one, even if the quantity did not feature their head coach on the sideline and Lane Kiffin, who was out with COVID. But watching, L, uh, watching Ole Miss in that game against Louisville, one thing really jumped out to me, Louisville looked bad. It looked like Louisville was playing, uh, trying to make a running back play quarterback in that game, and it did not work. But Ole Miss was impressive, Bobby. Is Lane Kiffin maybe a year ahead of schedule in what he's trying to implement in Oxford? I, mean, I don't know if I'm breaking news here. I mean, Lane, Lane Kiffin's a good offensive coach. The question always was with him was, you know, the off the field, he's kind of smug, he's a little bit arrogant. Like, all of the things that his dad kind of wasn't, he is. But he's really smart. I think he, he enjoys being the smartest guy in the room. And I think he enjoys feeling like that and maybe letting other people know it a little bit. And it was probably a humbling experience with everything that happened. When he got to FAU, he turned that thing around, did a good job there. And with the players they have at Ole Miss and the way that they execute on offense, that's the one thing you want to look at. Like They're an efficient offense. You, like, you, you juxtapose that to what you're seeing with LSU. I mean, LSU has better players than Ole Miss. But you know, why doesn't their offense look like that? Lane Kiffin does a really good job. He's built a really good staff. I, I don't know if they're quite ready to challenge you know, A&M or challenge Bama this year, but I, I think it'll be far more competitive. You know, Lane will let you know before the game that he's probably going to go out there and, and hang 100 on them. But I do think that they could put, beat LSU. If they play like that and LSU plays like that, like they did against UCLA, Ole Miss is winning that game because like, they have athletes, maybe not quite as many, but they, they execute at a really high level and they look really efficient. And it's it's unbelievable that even without Lane there, that he's built such a, such a system and structure where it's able to still exist without him. So nobody was expecting a lot out of Iowa State two years ago when they started one and three, and maybe even last year when they lost to Louisiana in their opener. They squeaked by Northern and Iowa 
last week, 16-10. Now this game against Iowa is a big deal this weekend. How much do things change for a program like that when uh, Matt Campbell stays, maybe to the surprise of, of a lot of people, and uh, everybody expects big, big things as compared to usual? Well, it's a little bit like Indiana. When you go from being the hunter to being the hunted, where there's expectations around you now. And so when everyone's telling you how great you are, when you're going in, and, and not only are you supposed to win against Northern Iowa, but you're supposed to blow them out. You're supposed to win big. Like, you're, you're one of the top 10 team in the country. And so when you kind of sneak your way through there and you can kind of build, uh, build up a head of steam and no one's counting on you early in the season, but by the end of the year, you've kind of done it enough to where you feel good about it when people are patting you on the back and you're still grounded and you've worked and you've earned it. Whereas in the offseason, you're coming in. I mean, you don't want any games. You know, it's, it's a clean slate. And so I, there was some concern there, you know, watching some of that game and seeing like there were some things that, you know, caused my ears to perk up. And they play Iowa this week. Iowa, I think, is a four and a half point dog. I think Iowa has a, a great chance of beating them based upon what I saw, how physical they were up front. You know, if you can dominate the run game, like, that's a game, I think, this year for the Cyhawk Trophy. Everyone thought that it was just going to be gifted to Iowa State. But based upon the way that those two teams played to open the season, if that's far more indicative than, than 20, uh, 2020, I think uh, Iowa wins that game. Bobby Carpenter with us from Outkick.com and, uh, of course, the college football contributor. Uh, you can hear him on morning radio in Columbus as well. Bobby, uh, your thoughts on Georgia and Clemson and how that game played out. Low scoring. Georgia's defense was incredible throughout the game. Two-part question. Do you think the Bulldogs caught Clemson at the right time? And, and do you think Clemson gets better as this year progresses? Do you think they'll be okay? And, and number two, where can JT Daniels take Georgia with that defense and that run game? So... I think this was the time to play Clemson out of the gates before they were able to build any confidence. You know, DJ Uangalele, great player, you know, very talented, I would say not great player, very talented player, but, you know, lack of confidence, lack of game experience. You got to remember last year, like, oh, you know, he, he was up there playing, you know, lights out against Notre Dame, you know, doing a good job. Well, also, you know, it's, it's limited, limited fans. Like there was, it wasn't near the crowd that there was right now. And so, you know, an environment that's, you know, 50-50-ish, you know, it's getting loud. There's a lot of energy around it. Like, that, that's tough for a guy to go in. So I, I believe Dabo Swinney to be a really good coach. His teams generally look much better at the end of the season than they do at the beginning. And so I think Clemson will be able to right the ship. I, don't, I think that they're pretty good. Uh, they still have some work to do, obviously. And then on the Georgia side, got a great defense. They've got a great running game. Like, welcome to Georgia football. Okay, that's not breaking any news. Right. It's the question, you know, JT Daniels, how good can he be? He needs to get some of his guys back. Like it hurts, you know, when you don't have Carl Pickens and guys like that on the outside that you know are highly recruited guys that, that can make plays. But he's got to be better because you can't win games like that. Like against Alabama, they're going to score more than seven points. Like they're going to come out. Bama, even against a team as good as Georgia, and when you know Saban's going to obviously pull some things back and maybe not be quite as aggressive because he knows he's going against a really good defense. You still have to be able to find a way to score offensive touchdowns. And you've got to be more efficient than this. And I try to think, I heard somebody who was on a radio station on the show after me, and I can't think of his name, called, you know, uh, he called Daniels a, a top five college quarterback. I'm like, listen, I, I can't get there right now. He could get, the, he could show me something later, but based upon what I've seen, I know he didn't want to make mistakes. They kind of took the air out of the football on him, but he is going to have to play better. It, it, 
college football right now, the rules are too slanted to the offense to be able to go out there and think you're going to be able to win games like that, you know, against other quality teams. Like, that's just the reality of it. Bobby, you've probably seen uh, a little bit more Pittsburgh than Tennessee, but I um, wanted to ask you about your thoughts with that matchup. And Kenny Pickett, the six-year quarterback for Pitt, going to Knoxville to take on uh, clearly a rebuilding Tennessee team under Josh Heupel. You know, Tennessee, they've, they've kind of been a tease. Like every couple of like the last couple of years, they've supposed to be much, much better. And they kind of show you a little bit every now and then. You know, I think this is Pitt's year. You have a six-year quarterback you know, coming in. Pat Narduzzi's done a really good job there. I'll tell you this, they're always going to play really good defense. They're going to be tough. They're going to be physical. Heck, they upset Clemson, you know, four or five years ago when uh, Clemson, you know, was making title runs. Like, Pat Narduzzi is a heck of a football coach. You know, it's, he's kind of in the same vein with Nick Saban of how he operates his program, what he does. And so I think that they'll be able to, to sling the ball around a little bit. He likes to establish the running game, keep people off balance, and he's ultra-aggressive on defense. He changes it up, but listen, when it's time to go, he'll bring them all, and he'll expect his guys on the back end to get it done. And so I, I would say this is a, a good opportunity for Pitt to get a non-conference win uh, against a Tennessee team that, you know, they've got, they've got some talent, but I feel like every year we start talking about Tennessee at the beginning of the season, and then as, as it starts to go, you know, they lose some of these games, they begin to spiral off. Give us your, your early thoughts on Oregon-Ohio State this weekend. So Oregon, this isn't, everybody thinks of Oregon, especially at Ohio State, you know, the team that they beat back in uh, 2015, you know, with Mark Helfrich, you know, they're running a play every 15 seconds, speed all over the field, like basically just the continuation of Chip Kelly. Demario Cristobal, they, they, don't, they, they don't have those, those speedy playmakers. Um, they're going to try to line up, try to pound the football on you. Uh, that kind of, you know, Ohio State struggled a little bit in pass coverage against Minnesota. Had a couple guys out, should have them back. You know, but the bigger issue, I think, is, you, you're going to have a hard time if you're Oregon trying to out-tough you know, a team that is known for running the football like Ohio State. They've got a complement of running backs. You know, it's a 13-and-a-half, 14-point line, which is basically what Minnesota was. I think at home, with an, and this is the other thing no one's talking about, it's a noon start. Noon start for a team coming from the West Coast. I don't know how Oregon's AD and the Pac-12 commissioner at the time, Larry Scott, let this game get scheduled. You're asking your guys to, to kick off at 9 a.m., mm. basically wake up at 4.30 their time, 5 o'clock their time to get this thing going. I just think it's completely set up for failure from the Oregon side. You put this game at night, might be a little closer, but I feel like Ohio State will probably be up two scores before Oregon's fully awake and functioning. Bobby Carpenter, uh, always great with us the last couple of weeks. Uh, looking forward to doing this weekly with you, Bobby. We really appreciate it, and uh, keep up the great work at OutKick.com. Thanks so much. Thanks, gentlemen. Look forward to it. Thanks, Bobby. Follow Bobby on uh, Twitter at bcarp3. Hut, we have been attacked by the Polish. It's a brutal. Poland scored with in in extra time to tie England, and we lose the parlay. Chad, your thoughts on a draw in soccer killing us? Normally, if I'm betting on a soccer match, I am thrilled when I see the score tied because I'm always betting the draw, and this was one. That really hurt. You a, almost cashed out. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, oh. don't even feel out. like making a parlay it. pick after that just death blow. Deflating. I was, I, so I was inflated by Heavy getting off the, the, the training wheels, and now I am completely deflated. I was so confident this morning. It was a great bet. That I went ahead and... Spent the money? No. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> I would yes. I would have bought a boat this morning, I actually. I'm, I'm a boat owner. He bought Claire so much Taco Bell. <laughs> Taco Bell. You're welcome, Claire. <laughs> um, I was so confident that the soccer picks were what I could ride with here. Yeah. I mean, we got through the baseball leg of this. Right, this was icing. This was just I up, the, up the... I picked out a parlay this morning that I was going to play today. Like yeah, I'm, well, I'm, apparently... Can you I was give prepared it to, to roll it out today at 4 o'clock. I was that confident in this parlay. Chad, um, Chad uh, your thoughts. Well, Chad doesn't have a cell phone Chad anymore. was going to cash out. He's about to throw this through the window. How close did you come to cashing out? You could have well, made 35 bucks. There's going to be a couple homeless guys. We're about to have a new <laughs> iPhone 5S. It's really old, but it'll be new for you. They're really good. A, new, throw it out the a new iPhone 5. If you, for them. I said new to them. Circa, circa 2011. They're going to yeah. cash in the, the magic hey, wand for a they don't cell make phone. Them, they don't make them this thick anymore. You can trade that for a magic wand. <laughs> they don't make them this thick anymore. <laughs> yeah, oh. they don't. It's the first or last we'll have time the 360 parlay coming up. I'll pick something. Whatever. <laughs> He's going to pick some draws in I'm qualifying I'm gonna, games I'm tomorrow. I'm going to play mine, too. I'm, I'm confident. I'll play yours, too. Uh, you, 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 we're going baseball. No, go with your. I, that was so close to a win. You should pick again. <laughs> a tie is a I'm win. Done with, I'm done with soccer. I used to, betting on anything but a draw. One of my because trips. it always bites me in the ass if I think anybody's going to actually win the sporting contest <laughs> that is soccer and not tie. It always kills me. You've, and once oh. again, I've been destroyed by a team that just actually won a game after my pick yesterday was Liechtenstein, Armenia, a tie. And guess what happened? They tied. One of my and then trips, it's a tie that beats me. One of my trips to Vegas where we sat at a blackjack table for probably 15 hours consecutively. And for five of those hours, one of the guys we were with kept saying, a push is a win. <laughs> <laughs> and we, every time he said it, we were like, why are you saying that? A push is not a win. A push is, is, is not a win at all. But you have just said a tie is pretty much a win. You know what, gentlemen? We're going to win that back tonight. Let's do it. Jacob Swanson's got a dart hard. parlay coming for us. He's going to give Three us the Jacob, parlay. Jacob, do you bet darts ever? As a dart thrower yourself? No. no. You he only bets enough. on himself. You should study that up. <laughs> he only bets on himself at Cobra. That's where he bets on darts. Uh, coming up, 360 Parlay Plus, we're going to give you some great prop bets for the NFL. Now, these are winners. Yeah, we, we, we legitimately have picked these out that I we're bet going on to all. bet for the NFL season. We love it. Uh, it's straight ahead on Outkick 360. Hang with us. Pushes a win. Time to make it rain and time to win the money back. It's Outkick 360's daily parlay with FanDuel.com. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Going back to Major League Baseball tonight, there's not a lot to choose from in the sporting landscape. Uh, don't we're put a so, single soccer match on the spot, No, there are please. no soccer Thank matches, you. I promise. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I feel confident in three of my four picks, but I'm, I'm adding a fourth <laughs> to get the odds up Spice a little bit up. to win some cash here. We need the Miami Marlins to cover, and I'll explain in a moment. Nice Here's bet. the parlay for today. Uh, backing the Braves again. It's all about pitching. Washington just does not have a lot of it. The Braves' offense, they've hit the ball well. Their last four against this Nationals team, Braves' money line. Take the over tonight in Boston because the last two games saw basically 40 runs scored, and there's absolutely no reason to think that either offense will slow down or that Boston pitching is going to get any better. And our third leg is based on the hope that Cleveland youngster uh, Tristan McKenzie will continue to show why he's one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. His last three starts have been excellent, including a near no-hitter. So I'm taking the Indians. And then I'm taking the Marlins, plus the run and a half. I nearly didn't add this on, but I got the four-leg parlay up to plus 700. $5 bet. 
get you nearly $40 in return. So uh, let's win, gentlemen, shall we? Let's. What, what Let was the Marlins pick one more time I'm looking at right now? Plus, plus a run, run and, and a half. half. Okay, plus a run and a half. Plus a run and a half. Hutton, because you said you were confident in three of He's the four. Going 10. Uh, no, I went 15. Parlay on the first three. And now I'm doing a separate parlay, adding the Marlins in. I'm going to play the, both the of them. Marlins, the Marlins, that's, that's, two different parlays. that's the dangerous part of the parlay for me. In, yeah, because they're barely the trying at this point. Right. They're one of those teams that you don't even know if they're really attempting to win. But, you know, shout out J.P. Aaron Sebia. Let, let's go. Let's get a win tonight in Miami. We need to make that happen. J.P., if you have any inside info uh, on this, <laughs> yeah, I don't want you to lose your job with the Marlins, but... It's okay if the Marlins lose. Let us know. We may send just by J.P. A, run. a quick text just, by just a to run. see if... How confident are you in those Marlins tonight to uh, lose only by one or win the game? <laughs> by the way, one thing that will not happen in that game, a tie. So I'm thrilled yes, about that. Maybe. In this Major League Baseball game, there will be a winner at the end of that game. Uh, let's get into some of our favorite prop bets going into the NFL season. Paul had a great idea with this because he was scanning FanDuel and came across several things that he really likes for the upcoming NFL season that gets underway and kicks off tomorrow night. Paul? Where do you start? Well, I've got uh, I, I've got two tiers. All right, I've got um, you know risky ones with yeah. huge odds. Um, so my first one is Chase Young for Defensive Player of the Year, plus seventeen hundred. He had seven and a half sacks last year. League lead was fifteen and a half. The guy's a tremendous, tremendous player. I think I might take him second. Only to Miles Garrett as an edge rusher. Up and coming, right? Washington, a really good defense. I like the guy a lot. I could see him having a big breakout season and being right there. Yeah, and he's one of those that the media, I could totally see votes his way instead of Aaron Donald, right? Ty. It's, uh, it's tough, Aaron Donald it's tough to get Aaron Donald off that mantle, that pedestal. Yeah, and Aaron Donald's odds are probably you know, worth pennies. Right. My other one uh, is a flyer. I just like Darren Waller a lot. I think the Raiders are going to throw to Darren Waller a lot. He had 107 receptions last year. Now, Stephon Diggs is going to have to come way back to the pack. He had 147. But I would think the Bills are going to spread things around more. I'm not sure about Oakland's receiving core. Um, Aguilar's gone. Yeah. I, I know that they've brought some people in, but Darren Waller for most receptions in the league, plus 1,700, another $5 flyer with a huge payoff. Uh, I, you know, I, scanning through this uh, late last night, A.J. Brown is plus 1,200 for most receiving touchdowns in the league. Um, what was I'm the number last year for I'm most touchdowns? I'm taking that. Look, he, he had six last year, six touchdowns last year. He injured his knee, uh, missed a couple of games, Still put up six touchdowns and still put up yards. And now he's healthy. He's a guy who improves each year that we've seen him. I expect the, the same production from A.J., if not more, uh, now that this offense is, is truly humming. I, I, I would take the plus 1,200 odds. Devontae Adams had 20 last year, which is a very big well, that, number. Yes. Second was 15, a couple guys. Right, and I'm not, I'm not thinking that uh, – you know, I, I'm thinking AJ gets into the double digits, and based on odds and mid look, to high team, an injury team. here, or there, yeah. I'm, I'm taking him. That's all. Uh, Cooper Cup, most regular season receptions. He always has a boatload of receptions anyway in that offense, and now he has Matthew Stafford. Uh, his odds are plus two thousand. Oh, I like that. that. I like that one. Uh, and Nick Chubb, most regular season rushing touchdowns, plus seven fifty. I put uh, a couple bones on that as well, Chad. 
Love those. Um, the dog pound. So I'm going with a season award here, a guy who I said throughout the draft process, I knew the location where he was headed, and it made perfect sense. Najee Harris, NFL Rookie of the Year, plus 900 right now for uh, Najee Harris in Pittsburgh winning Rookie of the Year. Is this going quarterback, quarterback, and then him, I guess? Yeah, it's uh, – I'm trying to say Trevor Lawrence Trevor has the Lawrence best odds. Be Mac one. Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Najee Harris. So um, the, he has the best odds of any non-quarterback rookie. That's good. That's good. I like Josh Allen uh, with his odds for league MVP. Uh, place to bet on that one. And my last pa- player prop, and I don't know why I like this so much, but Nick Chubb is plus 4,000 to lead the league in rushing at the end of the regular mm. season. I think Nick Chubb's going to have a big year. I like those long odds plays like that. Obviously, I won with Phil Mickelson earlier this year. Give me Nick Chubb to lead the league in rushing by the end of the regular season. You know the thing about these bets that I don't like? They clog up the top of your FanDuel thing. Like every oh, for, for five months when we go to look at our yeah. active bets, they're going to be <laughs> stuck there. I have three others that are not big payoffs at all. They're all minus 112. But I think that they're all coming to fruition. Saquon Barkley under 1,125.5 yards. Coming off ACL, I just do not like a running back coming off an ACL. Rondale Moore, I'm big on, over 600 and a half yards. Hmm. I just think they're going to throw to him a lot, and I think he's squirmy. Trevor Lawrence, over three and a half rushing touchdowns. I think he ran into the end zone a lot at Clemson. Unless they're handling him with kit gloves, I, I would see him squirting into the end zone at least four times as what, a rookie. I mean, it, yes. Especially with the style of offense that I think Urban Meyer will be running. So, right. yes. I mean, just yeah. on boots. I like that one a lot, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's a minus quarterback one. Sneak. Well, so, yeah, quarterback when you're going to get a quarterback sneak at some point, that's Four times happen. in 17 games? Uh, those are NFL prop bets. What were the odds on that one again, Paul? Minus 112. I mean, oh, I mean you're yeah. winning 946 on a $5 bet, but yeah. still. I like the ones that are more plus 4,000. Yeah, me, <laughs> too, me too. But I'm just surprised at that. I mean, I saw that number, and I was like, three and a half. Chad's going to take the odds on Phillip Rivers getting the, the call to start for the Colts by week 12. I, I would have As soon as the high school football season is over in Alabama, Phillip Rivers is getting a call to play again. In honor of uh, what we just witnessed with Poland scoring late against England. <laughs> Damn Polish. I'm going to give you another winner tonight. I'm, not, I'm just going to scroll right here. I just hit World Cup and the scroll. Oh, first one. Canada El Salvador plus 280 to tie. Boom. <laughs> you just made yourself money right there. That game will absolutely tie. $5 wins you $14. Canada and El Salvador And I believe tie Canada, tonight. if they tie that game, will come out with three draws of the first <laughs> Give me another games. one, too. Good old U.S. of A. <laughs> and Honduras. They've got Honduras. Tonight. <laughs> $5 wins you $11. Boom. Just made you, you a lot more dollars. You should have parlayed that. There That's is US another parlay those That's two actually a really good parlay. United States is playing who? Honduras. 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 <laughs> Honduras. Honduras. All of a sudden, I'm not the only guy who doesn't pronounce his H's. Well, I did mine. It's yeah. finally I caught on. I did mine on purpose yeah. was the difference. I was trying to church it up. Like Honduras. <laughs> that door is closed. <laughs> no, Nicaragua. come in. Here they come. There's no sign that People the door is closed. Um, so we're the idiots for not there, putting the but sign But there's up. a blockade there. We have a sign over here to the left of us. Uh, there's a sign up, but it's an advertisement. But so. it's a blockade. I mean, it's it serves as raining, a blockade. So people are trying to go to the nearest door to enter the facility, 
and intersects the B-body. I, I don't still blame hold that against them. Uh, this uh, lovely couple for touring Nashville, <laughs> and it decides to rain, and they're like, you know what? Let's try this entrance. <laughs> new, I mean, at least this entrance is not labeled as a non-entrance. The Let's new, try this door. The new definition of lovely couple from Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hate, you know, I was defeated earlier when Poland scored and we lost the parlay. The look of defeat on that gentleman's face. <laughs> when he looked up Might and he's it. got his wife with him, he's just, I mean, it's, well, you know he's what? just thought they were about to just go back to the hotel. Yeah. He's you know just what? thirsty. Screw this night. All the guy oh, wants is to drink. Is it, is it worth walking around the corner? There is there? a Walker, Texas Ranger rerun on right now back in the hotel. <laughs> we're going to walk we back. We can order beers to the room. Day. Let's just go back. You can see it's raining. He's just like, what do we do now? What are we doing here? Why are we walking and around like, the city? she's like, let's just go around the corner. Yeah. We Coming up, the Tennessee Power Hour. Straight ahead on Outkick 360. Hang with us. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.